Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast. And on this episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast, we'll be joined by the outstanding NBC sportscaster, Mike Tirico, the lead primetime host of the Olympics on NBC, the lead play-by-play man for Notre Dame football on NBC, the host of the Triple Crown Races on NBC, the host of NBC's Football Night in America, the host of NBC's coverage of the Indianapolis 500, the host of NBC's coverage of the Stanley Cup playoffs. I think his career and credentials speak for themselves, but he will speak for himself today on the Adam Schefter podcast. And of course, we had the NFL schedule come out this past week. And I always find the NFL schedule to be maybe the only overdone thing that the NFL does. I love the preseason. I love the regular season. I love the postseason. I love free agency. I love the draft. The schedule. We know the games. We know the matchups. We know what's going to happen. We just don't know when they're going to be played. And I think that it's a day that really enables the fans to pinpoint some travel plans. Oh, I'd like to go visit Green Bay. Oh, it'd be great to go to fly to Las Vegas when our team is playing there. But aside from that, it's much ado about nothing. I don't mean to insult the league about this. The league has done an unbelievable job growing its product and turning every single little thing into the biggest event. But the one event that doesn't get me really fired up is the schedule release. Now, I love seeing week one and the primetime matchups, and I want to see who's playing on Thanksgiving so I know who I'm sitting around with and eating and watching that day. But aside from that, it doesn't matter to me who the Chiefs are playing in week 14 or the Browns are playing in week eight or when the Buffalo Bills buy is going to be. Just, again, in the grand scheme of things, way down on the pecking order. And I love the sport that I cover, and I love all things that the NFL brings along. But that's one that just doesn't get me all fired up. What does get me fired up is the continuing conversation about some of the quarterback questions that are out there. Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, Dak Prescott, to name a few. Dak Prescott looks like he's right on track to be back this season. No questions. Mike McCarthy, the Cowboys coach, made that very clear this week. Deshaun Watson seemed like the Texans had a little bit of a different tone, and we've talked about it here, and we'll talk about it again. The fact that before all these civil lawsuits came up, let's not forget the fact that Deshaun Watson told the Texans he wanted out of Houston. So between his own personal preferences and everything that's transpired since then, Still think it's hard to imagine that Deshaun Watson will wind up playing again for the Texans, but that's what these next few weeks and months will be for to see exactly how that process unfolds. And Aaron Rodgers, we keep waiting for something to change. But what I go back to is that the Packers have had their chance to make their case to Aaron Rodgers and to date at the time of this taping, midday Monday, nothing seems to have changed. And so what I've said before and what I'll say again is that if you're a Packers fan and you want Aaron Rodgers back, you're hoping that he misses the sport, he misses his teammates, he misses the coaches he loves, and that he'll come back to them and that. Because it certainly doesn't feel like anything that the Packers president, Mark Murphy, or the general manager, Brian Gutekunst, or the head coach, Matt LaFleur, is saying really matters all that much to him. doesn't feel that way. And you just hope that as the season gets closer, as training camp draws near, that he decides, I miss this too much and I can't be without this sport. And that leads to his return to Green Bay. That, to me, is the best hope for the Packers to get him back. But we still don't know whether or not that will happen. But before we get into today's episode, I have a few things I want to tell you. First off, if you're a basketball fan, I encourage you to listen to the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst. Brian and a team of ESPN insiders sort out life in and around the NBA world. So make sure you download and follow the Hoop Collective wherever you get your podcast. Also, The Ultimate Fighter, the reality show that brings top MMA prospects together under one roof to compete for a UFC contract is back. Stream the season premiere on Tuesday, June 1st, only on ESPN+. Plus. Sign up now at ESPN+. Plus. And now for our guest on this week's Adam Schefter podcast, the great, and I mean great, Mike Tirico. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. So, Mike, you got your Sunday night football schedule last week. And once again, NBC looks like it's got quite the appealing set up here including the early season favorite for the game of the year in week four, Buccaneers at Patriots. What was your takeaway of the schedule, that the hand that NBC was dealt? It's a schedule, isn't it? You know, we, we never know for sure, right? Because they always change uh, week to week, depending on what happens with injuries. As, as we know from teams in the league, it's not just who you're playing, but when you're playing, how healthy you are when you're playing, right? Uh, but this schedule looks really good top to bottom. And I, Brady, Belichick, I talked to Al Michaels. The schedule came out and Al said that might be the most anticipated regular season NFL game he can remember. And I think he might be right. The build up for that is going to be off the charts. The most anticipated regular season game that he or you can remember. I'm trying to think if there's another one that would rival that. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the cup. I'll give you, I'll give you a couple, right? The Manning Bowl. First time we saw Eli and Peyton against each other, right? Yep. Um, maybe, maybe you'd throw in there Peyton playing against the Colts with Denver. Um, the Giants 49ers regular season matchup on a Monday night a generation ago when those two teams played a great NFC championship game. And so there have been some, but I think what do we judge the NFL on, Adam? We judge them on Super Bowl wins at the end of the day. And no quarterbacks won more, no head coaches won more. They were together, they separated the quarterback won one. The coach is reloading this year. It's back in New England. Think about, I want you to think about for just one second, I want you to think about Tom Brady running from the tunnel to the end of the end zone in Foxborough. And I want you to think about him doing that in a Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform. I want you to think about Tom getting to the end zone like he does and just let's blank and go, right? (laughs) I want you to think about that. And imagine what that's going to, what is that reaction going to be like from the New England fans? Like that's going to be one of those hair stand up uh, on on your on your neck chill moments. I, so Adam, I got to do the last Brady Patriots game in Foxborough with Tony Baselli and Laura Oakman on Westwood One Radio. It was the playoff defeat to Tennessee, yep. and two things stick out from that game. Tom, I wanted to make sure that I I watched Tom do that because I think we all had the sense it was going to be the last time, and then. Mm-hmm. When they left the field, that stadium had a fog over. It was a foggy night. It yeah, was empty. And it just feel like it felt like you were there to see the last line of a show that had run on Broadway for 20 years and was coming to an end. And I just wanted to take that in. And that happened. And to see Brady back there again, I think, was good. as the Super Bowl champion, uh, it's going to be the coolest thing. So I, I think it might be the most built-up, anticipated NFL regular season game we've seen. I hadn't thought about it like that. And now that you spell it out like that, I would not disagree with you on the basis of the credentials, the qualifications, the resume. You're right. You're right about it. And so you gave an idea, but let's fast forward to that night. What will the atmosphere be like? Aside from Tom running out of the tunnel, the buildup and the game itself, what 
What do you anticipate that to be like that night, Mike? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I hadn't thought about it yet. Um, I think that's going to be one of those nights that New England fans, because they are of a special quality, kind of like uh, New York fans and Philadelphia fans, Boston fans are have that extraordinarily connected relationship with their great athletes, uh, you know, and that Boston Mount Rushmore is like few other Mount Rushmore's, right? With uh, Bill Russell and Larry Bird, take your pick. Uh, you know, Bobby Orr, um, and you go, you go all the way through. Obviously, the Red Sox you, are your Ted Williams guy. Um, you know, Brady's that guy for the Patriots, and I think that's going to be one of the extraordinary ovations that a player has received. Mm-hmm. But then they'll root against them during the game. You know, then then they'll want their team to win. It's that fierce New England loyalty. Um, it's the one time I think Pat's fans won't be rooting for Tommy. You know, and uh, to me, it's kind of cool. I I love that, especially Adam. If it's a season where we have the fans back, and we've missed the fans in stadiums in every sport, uh, if we get the fans back and they haven't been to Pat's games, maybe to one game or two games, maybe in two years. And that's the night they're there. Oh, my gosh. That's like one of those. Can you imagine if you have season tickets that you share with people? That's one of those like, okay, who's going to that game? Who, who's, who are you taking? Who, who's going to call? I, I think it, I, I hadn't really thought about it much other than the first top line. But now as we discuss it, just like you said, it, it kind of adds to what that October night's going to be in Boston. In Foxborough. It's a special ticket. You know, last week on this podcast, I had on Matthew Hasselbeck, who lives in the Boston area, and he said he sees yeah. Brady's Bucks jerseys, Bucks bumper stickers, Bucks yeah. everything all across New England all the time now. So it's a region, I don't want to say divided might be overstated, but certainly Tom and Gronk and the Buccaneers have a lot of support in the New England area, which just will only add to the aura of that night. Well, just think about it, Adam. Um, you know, we associate Peyton Manning with the Colts, right? He made he and Tony Dungy together helped define basketball country as football country. And all the great people who are on the Colts go with that. You don't immediately think of Peyton Manning as a Super Bowl champion with Denver. Because we were kind of raised on Manning and the 18 and blue and white of the Colts. Same true with Brady. We're not going to look back at Brady as a Buccaneer champion. Right? We're going to think of him with all the Patriots victories. So, yeah, there, there is in this very rare day and age of player longevity, player longevity with one team, player longevity with championships with one team hmm. in every sport, especially the NFL. There aren't many connections like this in our lifetime. So I think that plus the fervor of the fans, um, that, that's going to be cool. And there are probably some people who kind of pull for Brady, but you know, New Englanders, like, this is ours, you know, the. They, you, Tommy, you're one of us, but the Patriots, they're ours. We still own, you know, we're still invested in Mac Jones and Cam Newton, and free agent acquisitions and all, all that stuff. So I, I think it'll be a, a unique, special night, torn emotions. But at the end of the day, New Englanders don't go against New England. They just don't. So uh, it'll be it'll be a great night. I'm so I'm super excited for it now that we start talking about it. You know, listen, you did Monday Night Football for ESPN. You work with NBC and do all sorts of football-related things. You live in Ann Arbor, as people know. So what have been your personal interactions with Tom and what makes him as great as he is? So 10 years of doing Monday Night Football and then some of doing Sunday Night uh, on-site as a studio host. And then the first playoff game of this past season, the game when Taylor Heineke came closer than any other quarterback of beating Brady in the playoffs this year. Right. Uh, I, I called, I, I, I was, I tested positive for COVID that week. So I called that game from my bedroom or from my basement. Rather. I'd tell you a quick story. I'm sitting in the office off our bedroom on January 6th. Okay? Our daughter, who's a freshman in college was going off to school. And my wife was going to drive her because I couldn't take her because uh, I had the game and I was leaving. So on one six, we all know what was going on at the Capitol. The insurrection's taking place. My daughter's getting ready to leave for college. She's a freshman. They didn't leave in the first trimester to go to school. So she's going for the first time away from school. And I'm getting ready to interview Brady and everybody else with the Bucks in advance of our playoff game by Zoom, because that's how we did all our player meetings. And then in the midst of all that, I get a result back that I tested positive for COVID. They're going to figure out if I'm doing the game or not, doing from my basement and all that stuff. In any case, we had a half hour conversation with Tom that day and a million things were going on. Right. 
but the half hour with Tom is just as memorable as everything else because um, he really gets it. He gets it in such a way. His production meetings were some of my favorites. Um, an honesty, um, and a little more unbuttoned than he was in press conferences. Part of that for me, I'm lucky I had two entrees. One, um, the relationship with John. No, John Gruden, he, John just had a way of uh, making guys so comfortable in those meetings. And being with John side by side for a half dozen years helped me uh, get to better relationships with a lot of those players and know them in a different way. And, you know, one of, uh, one of the people who I got to know in Ann Arbor after more after his coaching days, but during as well as Lloyd Carr, Tom's coach at Michigan. So the, like all, all time, all time, great people. Right. So I, I see Lloyd and his wife, Lori, we interact or intersect, I would just say a couple of times a year, different events in town, a little bit less now than over the last couple of years, but I would always have a house coach car conversation with Tom. If you talked to him recently, or if I talked to him recently, if I saw coach car before we saw Tom say, Hey, coach car says hello. And so we just had that, that kind of conversation and comfort, uh, you know, being around the Kentucky Derby where he's been those types of things. So I I've been around him enough more than, more than, uh, other folks. And I, I, I just have great admiration for his undying preparation. You know, Adam, when you bring up being pick 199 in the draft, it still is a motivating factor. It is. He never let go of that chip. And I have such undying respect for that because he didn't take it as an anger. He took it as an inspiration. And uh, it still drives, drives him to work harder and better than anyone else. And one of my favorite things, Adam, is that draft day, which is Belichick's birthday. It's April 20-something. I forget what it is. Um, the anniversary of Brady getting picked. I can guarantee at least a hundred mentions on Twitter because people will retweet. I was on the air with Mel Kuyper when Brady got picked doing the draft. They're like, Hey, you had hair back then. I said, yeah, I had hair. And Mel had. Yeah. Your voice is the voice that rolls when, when the 199th yes. selection comes up, right? Yes, exactly. And, and, and I, and people will text me when they, or uh, email me or tweet, Hey, you had hair back. They're like, yeah, Mel still has the same hair too. 21, 22 years later. I, I will say this, the brilliant, and you know, cause you work on the draft for years, the brilliance of Kuiper. I always tell people, go back and watch that. I, I had a good line on Tom because I was around Michigan, just a little, hadn't lived there yet, but knew what happened with Tom and his playing days, his playing time with Drew Henson in Michigan. Tom was the better quarterback. Drew played. I was able to put that in context pretty quickly. And then Mel's analysis of Brady is remarkable. It has stood the test of time for two decades. That alone is why Mel is one of my favorite people I ever worked with. Just that one soundbite, it encapsulates everything Kuiper's done for all these years. Among the last six picks taken, a uh, familiar name if you're a college football fan, Tom Brady, the quarterback who uh, all he did was lead this football team, put them in the right position more times than not. And when he got pulled from the game and Drew Henson came in, Michigan football was not as good as it was when no, Brady was in. No question, Mike. Smart experience. This past season, he cut his interception total from 98 and half, tossed 20 touchdown passes, only six interceptions. Through a touchdown pass, and actually all 16 games he started against Big Ten opposition during his career. Accurate. It was a very catchable ball. He really knows when to take a little off as well. And that's the key, and he stands in that pocket very tough. He'll take a hit. Question's going to be mobility. Only runs a 5-2-5-40. And of course, when you have those edge pass rushers, you have to avoid the initial defensive end, the initial pass rusher. Can he do that at the pro level? Going to New England, Drew Bledsoe, his forte certainly isn't mobility. It's dropping back, throwing the football. Brady can do that, and certainly New England's offense already designed for Bledsoe. Now comes Brady. Can he overcome that lack of mobility? So, Mike, for as distinguished a career as you've had, and you've now called football, basketball, golf, college football, college basketball, soccer, Olympics host. You may be remembered as the guy that called the draft selection of Tom Brady at 199. That's right. <laughs> that, 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 that is right. That's right up there with all of them. Yeah, those are the early days, day two of the draft. And uh, man, was, man, was that fun. It was a good time. But I'm, I'm honored to be associated with some great people and the great moments in their career. That's for darn sure. You talk about his commitment and his undying dedication, right? I remember having a conversation with him at one point and we were talking about the future and what he'd want to do and this and that. And so I said to him something to the effect of, well, are, are you ready to step aside? And he said, I dream of throwing the football. 
I dream <laughs> of throwing the football. Now, I dream of different things than throwing the football, Mike. I don't know about you, okay? But that shows you something about Tom Brady. He dreams of throwing the football. And, Adam, at the end of the day, what, what is greatness defined by? Championships, yes. Stats, of course. Um, I think it's your ability to lead people and to have people who want to be around you and with you. And he walked in the building. Bruce Arians had done a nice job of transitioning Tampa to get out of their malaise and try to become a different franchise. You don't even think about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the same way after one guy walked through the door. One guy guy can change a culture. Absolutely. The word culture is used way too much by us, way too much in sport. One guy changed a culture because his resume, presence, and day-to-day work ethic command and demand a different level of accountability. That's why these quarterbacks are paid so much. That's why everybody wants to have one. Um, they change buildings. They, they can completely change a building. He's done that. And that's why I have this feeling of Brady as uh, how lucky we are to see one of the all-time greatest at his best, even here towards the end of his run. It's remarkable. And he And I go back to when he was a free agent, Mike, and I think about the lack, lack of interest in him. And I thought of this while watching the Super Bowl. When Tom became a free agent, there were legitimately two teams, count them, two that were overly interested in signing him. The Los Angeles Chargers, who went on to draft Justin Herbert. And I wonder if they would have drafted him if he had signed with the Chargers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So all the other teams with all the other quarterback questions decided not to pursue the greatest quarterback of all time for whatever reason. They thought he was too old. They thought he was too I think I just, it's unbelievable to me to think about that. Bruce, everybody, everybody who's a coach or a GM or a quarterback, they have an ego of some sort. Because you need to have this larger-than-life personality to kind of have the pride instilled in the rest of your team. So Bruce Arians did something really interesting to me. Like Bruce, Bruce has confidence. He does not lack for confidence. But he was able to put aside some of the things that he may have wanted to do to make sure Tom Brady had the runway to be Tom Brady. Bruce was comfortable enough in his deal and his place in sport in the sport yeah. to put aside some of the things he might do to find middle ground with Tom Brady. Not every coach would do that. Not every organization would do that. I think that helped benefit this deal. At the same time, Bruce challenged Tom in different ways. Sometimes publicly, it was different than what it was like in England, all that stuff. I don't know if this thing works if Tom goes to a place where there wasn't a head coach who was willing to uh, morph a little bit into that. And, and let me give you something else here. Just This is my theory. This is not any uh, agent told me this, any quarterback told me this. This is my theory. I think one of the two stories of the offseason – Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, conversation about will they stay in these places, places where they were dread. Deshaun Watson is what, yeah, of course. You're you're right. So let me just take the other two guys because you're right about that. Those two guys, Russell and Aaron, drafted in those places, championship-level quarterbacks, championship quarterbacks in those places. Yet they both, somehow, somewhere, there are rumblings about them moving to different places. Why? I mean, Aaron Rodgers is Packer for life. Russell Wilson Seahawks for life, right? Again, nobody has told me this at all. This is just me putting two, four, and six together. I think they saw Tom Brady go somewhere, and the people around him were placed there to maximize success. And they said, look, that can be me. Why is that? The-? And if you think of both situations, that has been some of the issue around both those teams. The people around Aaron Rodgers, the people around Russell Wilson, maybe they wanted to be in that mode. And maybe it hit home, Adam, because it happened in their backyard. When this was all happening in the AFC, okay, great. Oh, man. So Brady goes to L.A. to the Chargers. Okay, great. That's over there. We can still get to the Super Bowl. Now it's in their backyard. He beats Rodgers in Lambeau, right? Seattle's in the playoffs. And they, they lose out. They're not too Tampa directly, but I, again, nobody has said this to me. It's just me putting the storylines of the offseason together and kind of stepping back. I think that might be the crux of why some of this has happened this year in Seattle and in Green Bay. Well, I've said to many people that these other quarterbacks have Tom envy. 
That's what it's about. They've got Tom Envy. That's been going on. You bring up Aaron Rodgers, and you were the last media member that I know that bumped into him at the Kentucky Derby. You got to talk to him after the reports that weekend of his discontent in Green Bay and the fact that we reported that he had told some Packers officials that he didn't want to return. I'm curious to know your takeaway, your own personal takeaway, after getting the chance to speak to one Aaron Rodgers. I, first thing I said was, do you believe how Schefter messed up the draft and the Derby all at once? No, no, no. no. <laughs> I'm, jo- I'm, jo- I'm jo- totally, totally joking. I, like, I, I know. I can, I can report. My sources tell me that I know that you've been on this story for a while. And, you know, look, I don't break stories. That's, that's your world. And you are as good as anybody's ever been doing this. And um, getting to work with you and when you came into the ESPN family when I was there and to watch you and Mort work together breaking stories, it was uh, the trip. The two of my favorite people I've ever worked with. But the respect and love uh, is mutual, but sometimes everything yeah. just comes together. Information. No, no, no. Some, sometimes information just comes together at a point where you've got enough to go with. It's not sitting on this. I'm going to hold this till now. Sometimes you get information that you can't say until a certain point because it would it would uh, impact the, uh, the knowledge of the other team in terms of the competition. It could affect that. Um, it's time for a certain reason. I mean, I, I, I know that you've been working on this for a while. We've heard these rumblings for a bit. And things started to come together as the conversation around the league started to percolate more and more. And that gets you to that point. You don't need to be defended, but I'm just telling folks that you know, people who said that, you know, and people who didn't believe that Aaron wasn't the one who said, Adam, it's time to do this. That's, that's not the case. You don't need to say that about yourself. But, 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 just, but let me say this, and you're exactly right. Yeah. It, it is nuanced, and it is layered, and it is textured. And I defended myself last week, which I probably shouldn't have to do. But here's the other issue. It goes on January, February, March, April. And you know what? Yeah. You're waiting to see if something changes. I don't want to get involved in that. Like, let's see if something – I'm hearing these things. I'm hearing these things. Is his mind going to change? Is he going to soften up his stance? To the best that I could tell, he never did. He never did. And it had gone on to a certain point. You're exactly right, where eventually you figure this is going to get out. I need to go back to people, button up this issue, button up this issue, make sure it's confirmed, make sure I'm not getting anything wrong. And once you do that, then you go with the story that had been hanging exactly. over the offseason, all offseason. And quietly in a lot of in a lot of team offices as well. You know, it it it, it wasn't like when you reported it, it was, oh my God, that where'd that come from? Some people have been percolating and bubbling about it. You had enough to put it all together. So let me get back to your question. So yeah. I, I think, you know, and I think it's a chance to spend as much time as I, I would like. I don't know if Aaron, Aaron was there with his fiance to enjoy the derby. So that's uh, uh, on my place, but we're in a similar area for just a couple of minutes. If I had to encapsulate my read on it, mm-hmm. and this is not paraphrasing Aaron, this is more my read on the situation. It's not one thing, it's many things. I don't think it's necessarily a money thing. Uh, I I think a little bit of what I said about the other quarterbacks might, and that, I remember having that thought as I'm going back to where I said at the Derby, going, man, maybe this is just part of that whole what every what's happening around the league with the other quarterbacks, and with especially with Brady. I, I I think that the the respect term internally is is part of that, and. I, I, I'm sure this Aaron loves being a Packer. Mm-hmm. I think he really loves being included in the same breath as star and far. I really, really in my core believe that. And I think he loves the green Bay fans. I don't think the way things have played out over the last few years with the organization, which has continued to maintain what is maintained the Packers for a long time. Let's draft, let's develop, let's kind of, you know, do things without splashy free agents or those types of things. Mm-hmm. It's been done one way for about 30 years. And when you step back, the 30-year run is pretty good relative to most of the rest of the teams in the league. Is it the best way to win with a star quarterback and not put things together and make a run for it? Could could be yes, could be no, could be your opinion on it. But that might not be the best situation for Aaron Rodgers at this point in his career. And I think those are the seeds of what's kind of bubbled and developed over the last, you know, how many ever months. You brought up Bart Starr and Brett Favre. Both quarterbacks played 16 years. Aaron Rodgers has played 16 years. No Packers quarterback has ever played 17 years in Green Bay. And I know that 
you are a an announcer, an unbelievable play-by-play man, or the greatest to ever do it. You're not in the prediction business, but I'm going to give you. Yeah. I, I want to ask you for your prediction. How do you think this plays out now, Mike? And it's the question again that everybody wants an answer to. Yeah. So let me put my football uh, wannabe insider hat on for a second. Yeah. Uh, you start to look at where can he go, right? Who can structure? And you know, we've heard all the Denver conversation. Who can who can find a place where there's a trade? There's room in the cap. There's a team that has some of those assets ready to win here for the next couple of three years. Um, you start, and who doesn't have who doesn't have a young quarterback that they're building around, or who's ready to sell that young quarterback? Remember, you've just come through a pretty active movement season for mid to veteran quarterbacks. I think of Andy Dalton. I think of Ryan Fitzpatrick moving, walking into jobs where we thought think they're going to start. Although Fields may change that with the Bears. We've walked into the last couple of years of elevating quarterback drafts to the point that, you know, he had nine, 10 quarterbacks taken here in the high first round, first half of the first round over the last couple of years. You got to give those guys a chance. So which team is it? That's why the Denver conversation makes some sense. Um, So that's where I find the struggle to find how uh, a real great, great fit post June one, because the financial impact, it's much more your world than mine. So my gut feeling as a broadcaster is that he ends up back in Green Bay. They figure out a way to make it work. My emotional football fan feeling, I'm still a football fan, even though I'm not rooting for a team necessarily. I root for great stories, great games. Yep. I want to see Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. I, I'm, I'm old school. I want to see Russ work in Seattle. Uh, I like to see these guys. And I'm not going – I'm not against movement. You, I know you love the NBA, and I covered the NBA for a long stretch there at, at ESPN from, uh, you know, the from October of 02 till the finals to the final series there, calling the games on radio with Hubie, 2015. Uh, I had a great run with the NBA and loved it. Um, I think one of the problems of the NBA right now is too many guys have moved around. I too when LeBron when LeBron retires and goes in the Hall of Fame on the pre-first ballot. He's as good as we've ever, as we ever seen. He's right there with Michael and everybody else in terms of all the greatness and what he's done. You want to make the argument Jordan's better, that's fine. You want to make the argument Magic or Larry's better, that's, that's all good. I, I, I'm not, not going to sit here and, and fight with you that hard. But what is he? Is he a Cav? Is he a Miami Heat? Is he a Laker? What, what is he? I, I know my greats are a certain team. My era greats are a certain great from one team. And I know what we've seen with Brady. I know we've seen with Peyton. There's just a part of me would love to see Aaron Rodgers retire after 20 years with the Green Bay Packers. And I hope that that's where this ends up. And they figure it out internally and they treat him the way that they should treat him. I don't mean financially. I mean, get the guy, get the guy some dudes, get, get him some really, really, really good people and see what you can be here for the next couple of years. Just my opinion. You know, I think you're right about the movement. I agree by and large, but think about how much excitement Brady's move to Tampa created. Think about how much excitement Peyton Manning's move to Denver created. I love Drew Brees staying in New Orleans. So there are certain guys that no matter how it comes out, it's a great story if Aaron Rodgers stays in Green Bay, and it's a great story if he goes on to finish his career elsewhere. And you talk about great story. I think either one's a great story because he's a great player. And, and look, that, that's, what the, that's what the league does. The, the league helps introduce you to stars, they get to shine, and then you get to follow them, right? So, uh, like you said, Tampa, you didn't go near them with national TV, but for maybe a game or so here and there. Now it's like, oh, when are the Bucks on? But the Bucks on every 425 on a, on a Sunday afternoon, you know? You get to Cowboy level where you're on primetime, 425, Thursday night, Monday night, Saturday NFL Network special, no, wherever we can see them all, yeah. all the time. And that you're right. The player of uh, one player, very few individuals can make that difference. He can and would if he goes anywhere. I just, I, I love the Packers. I love Lambo. I love that's the most unique franchise it is. we have in our country. Um, it's, I just love that connection, the community, the feeling, and uh, I, I, I'd like to see greatness from the Packers because I think it makes the league better. It tells a story of a century-old franchise and the people of a city who saved it. And those, you know, roll out the barrel. When they play roll out the barrel, Lambo, 
It's the best. It's so dang when it's cold and miserable weather. There's no place you'd rather be. I, I just I just love to see a great player stay there and, and make magic there. Speaking of great stories, when you go to school at Syracuse and start working at WAER Radio, the very first person that you interview is none other than Bob Costas. Now you have succeeded Bob Costas as the host of the Primetime Olympics on NBC. Have you stopped to step back and think about your career as it pertains to first getting to interview Bob Costas and now getting to replace Bob Costas? Um, well, first off, you never replace, you follow Bob Costas, right? That's, uh, okay. he's one of a kind. He's on <laughs> the Mount Rushmore. Me? He's on the Mount Rushmore forever with, with, with the best. No, 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 no. I just, I, I have such reverence for, uh, how Bob did the job and what he did o- over the years. We're, we're uh, we, we are very lucky to share that Syracuse job. I always tell people that the reason I ended up as the Olympic coach was they needed another guy who was like five, seven, born in New York, raised in Queens, in Queens, Long Island. And went to Syracuse, so I just have to be the next one that fits in all the requirements. Um, so the, the the best part of the story, Adam, for me is uh, is that Bob was generous enough to give back a, a scholarship at Syracuse uh, to help you. It, didn't, it wasn't a full scholarship, but at the time it was like essential to me as I was first in my family to go to college. Uh, a scholarship back to the school. In my junior year, I received the Bob Costa Scholarship for an wow. aspiring sportscaster. And uh, that's where I first got to meet Bob. So it was 1987. And uh, you know, Bob was typical, typical Bob. And you get up there and he spoke to the communication school and then uh, wanted to spend a few minutes with you. And uh, he said, yeah, I just want to make sure that the guy who got the scholarship wasn't a knucklehead. Right. You know, typical <laughs> Costas. So um, and he's he's been uh, you know, this, gosh, the 33 years that I've known him since. Nothing but wonderful. Uh, now that I do the Olympics, I've done two. One is the primetime host, hopefully a second one here in Tokyo this yeah. summer. Uh, I, I have res- I have an incredible amount of respect for the number of times that he did it. You know, he's done it 10 times, uh, 11 total, uh, 10 primetime Olympic hosts, did late night as well one year. Um, what a what a career, what a, what a talent, and uh, a great perspective on things. And as he went on in his career, Bob, you know, found himself in a position where his presence and his word carried a certain respect. And I have the ultimate respect uh, for him, for the way he went about his career. He had a love of baseball he never hid. Uh, he had a, a really intelligent way of looking at things. And um, he was just a really kind person to me along the way here. And I, I know we were at the Today Show the morning that they officially announced the next in line for the Olympic coast. And uh, I have a picture of Bob handing me an actual Olympic torch as the wow. passing of the torch as the Olympic coast. And I, I have got lots of pictures that that's one that will forever be something really special to me. What picture do you have that would top that Mike? You know, I, I nothing really that would top it now that you put it that way for sure. But uh, I've got some great shots of uh, memories of our Monday night days uh, with Gruden and, uh, our entire Monday night team, uh, Jaws, when we were doing it together, Jay Rothman, our producer at the time, Chip Dean, our director, Susie Culver's, our Sunday reporter, Lisa Salters, Michelle Cafoy, depending on the time frame there. Man, that, that was uh, it was one of those, like, you pinch yourself, you, you didn't realize how great it was while it was going on, but what, what a wonderful experience. Like, to this day, uh, you know, there's still group text with Gruden, uh, uh, Jay and Chip, our producer and director, will all weigh in back and forth, random times. Uh, it was so much. It was so much fun. Love the NFL. It was my first my, my first big my play in the NFL. Uh, followed Al Michaels as the voice of Monday Night Football, uh, and then through a few years of it, after Tony and Joe Theismann and Jaws, uh, chance to work with John, who is, as you know, a larger than life personality. And, uh, man, he taught me so much about football. I thought I knew a bunch about football. Having done, you know, years of college football. But I, I say that you know, my, my six, seven years of John was like getting a Ph.D. in football or a master's in football. He, he taught, he entertained. He was a terrific communicator. And, man, what a damn loyal friend. Uh, I, um, I, I tried. I'd say the hardest thing that I have to do 
and I do it. But the hardest part is to not root for John's team to do well. You know, I'm glad I haven't done one of their games. He's a friend. There's nothing wrong with it. You can still be incredibly honest. I've experienced a call in Syracuse games over the years, you know. You would know if you got on the air doing a Michigan game. It would be hard, but you do it. Because right. if you lose your credibility professionally, you can't come back and ask for it back. So you do what you have to do, but personal relationships. And uh, John's one of my favorite people. And uh, I love his family, all those folks. So yeah, we got a couple of pictures of, of the guys when we did the show. And Lisa was with us, too. And uh, those were those were 10 years that I'll give you your time in your life in your career. That'd be very hard to replace for me being being such a part of Monday Night Football when it started at ESPN. And, uh, I do uh, root for everybody who's been in the job, uh, especially now with Levy doing it with Lewis and Greece, uh, you know, people who I know, Lisa's still there. Uh, I. I, I love to see them succeed because uh, part of it, 10 years of my career was dedicated to that project. And it's one that uh, when I hear the music, I still get a smile on my face because it's a special, a special thing in uh, our careers for all of us. Well, you think about all you've done. You ever stop to think how far that boy from Queens, Long Island, who went on to Syracuse has come? You ever stop to process that and allow yourself to be proud? Uh, it reminds me if I ever do stop that I'm getting old real quick, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. You know what? There's, there's certainly a, a pride in doing your dream job. And I think, the, I think the thing that I'm proud of, I always wanted to be a sportscaster. When I was a little kid, this is what I wanted to do. Yes. My mom, she'll tell you that this is what I wanted to be. I'd say that when I was two and three and four years old, and here I am, you know, half century later and I'm doing it. I'm very blessed to do it and with wonderful people and, you know, they, they want you to go to the Kentucky Derby and the Indy 500 and uh, all these great college games. It's called Notre Dame football. You know, your 50-yard line of the house that Rocky built for all their home games. It's just like, what, are you kidding me? Really? <laughs> this is what I do? Uh, you know, and it's 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 a dream job. And then you're sitting, you're watching NFL games uh, with Tony Dungy and Chris Collinsworth and now Drew Brees. Like, really? What did I ever do? My touch football days in Queens didn't really get me qualified to do this uh but here's what i here's what i appreciate the most about adam and i think you feel the same way i love my job i still love my job um i love waking up every day with the chance to learn about a new olympic sport or get ready in two months to explain why skateboarding has been added to the olympic program uh for tokyo um to be ready to talk about the 206 countries parading in, in the parade of nations at the opening ceremony. I mean, I, I love that preparation uh, still. I'm not on the air as much as I once during my ESPN days. I think I was calling more games and at, at sites more and doing more actual on-air work. And I miss that a little bit, but less is I more. Less is more, Mike. I still love the job. Less yeah. is more. In a, in a lot of ways it is, Adam. And had a good time in life, you know, as the kids got through the end of high school and um, now, now time to enjoy a little bit and you know, have a good pace. Still busy, still very busy, but man, I, I love, it. I got a chance to do hockey. I grew up loving the Rangers as right. a kid. I got a chance to do a Rangers game at Madison Square Garden. I was like, that, that was one of those things a few years ago. I'm like, oh my God, like I actually made it. Like I really made the spot I wanted to be in when I was 12 or 13. And I always tell people when they're talking about career, look, dream big. Like if you love something, it's a lot easier to do. And I know you don't mind the weekend hours, the, hey, you're with your son having dinner on the Michigan campus and you got to pop yeah. out for 45 seconds because there's a call to make to some agent or GM that there's a story <laughs> breaking that the news desk needs an update on. And your family understands it because they know it's what drives you and it's what success is all about. So you live it too. But I think the fact that I do what I love and I love what I do is uh, something that uh, is probably more than the pride when I step back an appreciation for uh, being blessed to be directed in a, in a area that I could find something that I enjoy so much and to be able to do it as well. Well, Mike, congratulations on an incredible run. You would be in the Mount Rushmore of sports broadcasters. No, Rushmore no. That you refer to. No, no. It's like yeah. some, some, some small hill in Kansas, something flat with a little bump, but not a lot of elevation. So um, I, yeah, no, I, I love, I love what I do and I'm just honored to work with so many good people and, a lot more events to come, and, uh, and 
and get to sit back every Sunday morning and watch you do what you do and every afternoon on NFL Live with Laura and the rest of the gang. So uh, it's good. L- lucky to have great friends along the way like you. It's one of the coolest parts of this. And, uh, love catching up with you, man. So thanks for I having me the on. Same. And, and hopefully we get the chance to see each other soon. Guess what? I found out two weeks ago after the NFL draft, one of my college buddies texted me. He said, hey, when is the draft in Vegas next year? I said, I don't know. Let me, let me check. He said, I reached out to someone in the NFL. April 28th, April 30th. When is Michigan's graduation next year? April 28th to 30th in Vegas. How much am I suffering already, Mike, about this? Now, it's it's not even a decision. I'm going to graduation at Michigan. So guess what? I am officially questionable for the 2022 NFL draft in Las Vegas, depending on when the actual ceremony will be. You just take your son son after graduation to Vegas. (laughs) I don't know how this is going to work, but we, I'm awesome. being, I'll be in Ann Arbor. The question is whether I will be make it, whether I will be able to make it to Las Vegas for Thursday night. I hope he's graduating Friday or Saturday. You know what? We'll see. You can use the studio in my house, Adam. There you go. Adam, Adam Schefter joins us from Mike Tirico's house in Ann Arbor. How about that? You know what? We may, we may be doing that. We may be getting the Las Vegas backdrop, and I may be broadcasting the draft for ESPN at a Mike Tirico's house. There we go. Honestly, I may be calling you back on that. You, we've got a room for you. Anytime, pal. <laughs> Mike, thanks for the time today. Thanks for the offer next spring. And hopefully I get the chance to see you soon. Same here, pal. All the best. I'll give you a go blue. Go blue. <laughs> now I could have listened to Mike Tarico and gone on with Mike Tarico for another three, four, five hours, probably. And I will take him up on that invitation if my son's college graduation happens to fall on the exact same day of the NFL draft. And I can't even tell you how I'm loathing this already to see when his actual graduation is. And I the department that he's graduating, I went back and did some research. The last time they had in-person graduation, that graduation was Thursday night, six to eight. So if it's Thursday night, six to eight in April, 2022, I won't be flying to Las Vegas. I don't know that I'll be participating in the draft. And I might, if I work it at all, have to use the studio in Mike Tarico's house. So we will revisit that subject later at an appropriate time but we'll see how that one plays out. I'll tell you how another one played out. Came up this past week, happened to have the occasion to talk on the telephone with the son of the Ravens Pro Bowl cornerback, Marlon Humphrey, a man by the name of Bobby Humphrey. And for those of you who don't remember, Bobby Humphrey was a running back for the Denver Broncos back when I covered the team in 1990. And one of my very first assignments in Colorado at the Rocky Mountain News was when Bobby Humphrey was holding out for a new contract back in 1990 and nobody had seen him or heard from him in weeks. They sent the young cub reporter, Adam Schefter to Birmingham, Alabama to see if he could go find Bobby Humphrey. And I look back at my career, the 31 plus years that I've covered the sport and truly one of my biggest professional failures a thing that haunts me to this day was flying to Birmingham, Alabama, spending three full days there, having no idea what the hell I was doing and looking and failing to find Bobby Humphrey. Looked everywhere, looked at the local gyms, looked at the school, the track Samford where he worked out, supposedly wasn't there, went to his agent, Jerry Albano's pharmacy to go see if he would be there. I went in there and I realized now, as I look back on it, how much I didn't know about how to do my job and how in that particular case, I was basically throwing darts at a dartboard and hoping to somehow blindly hit the bullseye. I never did. Three days went by in Alabama, me looking all around, me never finding Bobby Humphrey. And eventually his holdout did end. And eventually he did return to Denver. And eventually he did speak to the media. But I wasted three days of my life in Birmingham, Alabama, getting absolutely nothing done. And for somebody who likes to be productive and get things done, that still haunts me to this day. And I had the chance to speak to him on the phone. And I said, Bobby, I don't know if you realize this, but I went down to Birmingham, Alabama looking for you. He did not know that. There was no reason he would have. And when he heard the story about how I was down there looking for him, He was hysterical and I was hysterical with him. And I'm glad that 31 years later, we can laugh at this now because I wasn't laughing at it then, but it came up this past week. It was a phone conversation I had and I thought it was worth sharing. 
Also this past week, we lost the great Joe Valerio, the producer of the sports reporters, a man that took over that job in 1989. I would say this, Joe Valerio was the very first person who gave me an opportunity to be on ESPN. And it was back in the early 2000s. And I remember getting an email and a call from a Connecticut number, and it was Joe Valerio. And Joe was a great man. He was incredibly organized, thorough, gave me an opportunity of a lifetime. And he was so much bigger and so much more important than me, this little beat writer in Denver. And he didn't have to do that for me. And he went out of his way. And on Saturday, Jeremy Schapp sent me an email that Joe Valerio lost his life after a battle with cancer. He was 71. I didn't even know he had cancer. Jeremy had told me that he kept it from everybody, but a select few. And that it obviously accelerated very quickly. And I wanted to pay my respects to Joe Valerio and his family. I worked with his son, Brian, at the NFL, also a great guy. And Joe Valerio left a mark on me in a much different way than Bobby Humphrey, but in his own way is somebody that I will always remember somebody that helped bring me to ESPN, somebody who helped give me my start. And I am not alone. He did that for countless others. He helped grow the profile and reputation of so many of America's great sports writers and columnists. And Joe Valerio was the man behind the scenes, pulling all the strings, making everything happen. May he rest in peace. It was an incredible life. Well lived. We will miss Joe Valerio. I want to thank our guest on this week's podcast, Mike Tirico. Outstanding. Does such a great job on NBC. I want to thank my great producer, Christina Buswell, for putting up with me and putting this all together. And I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week. when We'll have more interviews and insight and information. And until then, have a great week. Be well and stay safe.